Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Well, if you got your Bibles, ho- hopefully you're there. First Peter chapter 5, we're really going to key in on the first nine, the first nine verses of 1 Peter 5. So, so I'll, get, I'll get tagged at least once a year in a, in a post with a, a picture of a t-shirt uh, that just says, Pastor, because uh, devil, uh, hardcore, devil stomping ninja isn't a job title. Uh, and, and like, I'll get, I'll get uh, tagged again at least once a year. And, and I think that deal's been going around for like eight years and so I know it's like fresh and new for whoever's tagging me. But I, like the reality, though, is, is this. Uh, most pastors, uh, like that sounds nice to be a hardcore devil-stomping ninja. Uh, but the reality is most pastors feel more like that, that old Murray push lawnmower that like starts up in a cloud of smoke, like billows, you know, neighbors are coming, fire trucks are coming. Uh, but it starts up, and like you don't know what the original color of the lawnmower was because it just has it's lost all color. Uh, the blade is is so dull that you literally mow over the same ground three times, uh, and that bad boy probably should have put been put out of its misery like five years ago, but it's just still going. That's what most pastors feel like, <laughs> not not the hardcore devil stomping ninja. Like I don't, I don't know I don't know what that is. As an elder and as a pastor, I, I, I have a unique perspective on, on this passage and, and really on, on our main point this morning. And, and now, I, I want to preface everything that I'm about to say with, with, with this thought. Uh, I, I, am a, I am a flawed under-shepherd under the authority of the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen. Y'all got to be more awake than the 8 o'clock service. <laughs> I, I am a flawed under-shepherd, under the authority of the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen? <laughs> I want to say like Paul, hey, follow, follow my lead, but, but I, I let people down all the time because I, I, I'm limited. Like I, I am I am still in process. I, I still wrestle with sin. But as a, but as a pastor, there, there are times where I, I'm, not, I'm not only walking through my own fires, uh, but, I'm, but I'm, as a pastor, you also carry the weight of others' hurt and their burdens, and, and the, the trials that they're walking through. And yet the call, the call to minister does not change. The call to minister does not change. Like there, there is no, there is no pause button. I, I've, I've buried Steph and I. Like we've buried family. I've buried family on a Saturday, only to turn around and preach on Sunday. 
There've been there've been weeks where one night we're we're pouring listen we're we're pouring ourselves out um with families and couples in crisis and then we turn around the next night and we pour ourselves into our our missional community. And Steph and I we walk through the same fires, the same trials in our marriage, in our family with our, with our finances, all, like all the things, all the things. And what we don't want to do is, is be duplicitous and put on airs and let like this chasm form between the appearance of who we are versus the, the, the reality of who we are. But we know this, God has called us to ministry. God has called me to be a, a pastor and an elder. He's called us to, to pour our, our lives out for the sake of the gospel. And so here's, the, here's kind of the big thought. When the, when the fires come, Christian, Christ follower, you don't get to hit the pause button. Y'all with me this morning? Like you don't, you don't get to hit the pause button. Even when the culture, even when the culture is telling you that it's all about you, that, that it's all about your health, that it's all about your desires, that it's, that it's all about your happiness. We've said this often, but listen, God is way more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. Way more concerned with you being a set apart for Him. And so 1 Peter flows 1 Peter 5 flows from chapter 4. In chapter 4, we, we, we talked about how in the face of suffering and in the, in the midst of the fire, uh, that we are, we're supposed to cling to the righteousness of Jesus. We, we're, we're supposed to entrust our souls to a faithful God. And this morning, I want to tell you, listen, Christian, God, God is in the fire. God is forging you for humble service. Amen. He is forging you for humble service, forging you to, to give your life away so that others might get a picture of Jesus, that they might know Jesus. So we're going to look at three things this morning. And the first thing is we looked at this, this idea of being forged for humble service. Uh, I, I want to make this point. God, God wants us to persevere in ministering to others. God wants us to persevere in ministering to others. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, persevere. Look at your other neighbor and say, you persevere too. Awesome. Look at verses 1 through 4. It says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings as Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Persevere in ministering to others. I, I've, I've talked about this, this man and his name before, but, but Nabil Qureshi is, is the author of, of, was the author of the book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And, and, and I, was, I was introduced to Nabil a little bit, a little bit late in the game. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't aware of his writing and his ministry really until uh, the, around the time of his death in, in 2017 when he died from cancer. And one thing that stands out 
If you get on YouTube and, and, and you, you'll find videos of Nabil, this young 30s guy, exhorting and, and encouraging followers of Jesus from his hospital bed. From the dude's hospital bed, even, even as his body is wasting away from cancer, even as he had received the, the, the bad news that he would not recover, right, right up until his final days from the hospital, Nabil was pouring himself out. And he continued to exalt Christ, even, even in the midst of the fire, even, even as his health declined, he, he served the body of Christ by holding tightly to Jesus holding fast his faith and spurring others on to do the same. Church, verses 1 through 4 of 1 Peter 5, it is a call to persevere in ministry even when it's hard. Amen? It's a call to persevere in ministering to others even when it's hard. Admittedly, the, the context of the first four or five verses, are they're directed specifically toward local church pastors or elders. However, hear me, and, and when we're going to talk application in a moment, I believe there is a biblical principle that is true for every follower of Jesus in these verses. But to be faithful to the context, we'll, we'll start with the office of elder. Now, when it, when it comes to church governance, uh, without without diving into the minutiae of all the various models and, and views, I'll simply share where Restoration Church Brian, where, where RCB has, has landed. We believe that the New Testament specifies uh, two appointed offices within a church, that of deacon uh, and that of elder. We also, we also believe that the New Testament, <clears throat> it uses the word pastor, bishop, overseer and elder very very interchangeably to describe one position of pastor or elder. And so in verse 1, Peter, he earnestly pleads. You look at verse 1, he earnestly pleads for the local church pastors. And this goes back, goes back to chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. He pleads with the leaders in light of God's judgment. In light of, of God's call for his people to be set apart. And even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of the trials and the fires that everybody's going through, he exhorts the shepherds to, sh the, the, the pastors to shepherd their people well. To lead their local churches faithfully. But notice, Peter doesn't appeal to them as Apostle Peter. He didn't appeal to, the, to them as the one who was called directly by Jesus. He didn't appeal as, as one of Jesus' three inner circle as an eyewitness of, of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Like Peter could have pulled out his apostle card like, guys, read it and weep, right? No. In humility and an act of solidarity, he appeals to them humbly as a fellow elder of the Jerusalem church. In verse 2 and 3, Peter, he implores the church to guard against three pitfalls in ministry. There's a few pitfalls that, that, that Peter spells out. And the first is this. He tells them, hey, you want to guard, guard against this, this 
obligatory mindset of ministry. This, man, I, like, oh, I have, I have to do ministry. And embrace ministry as a mercy. Embrace ministry as a, as a gift of God that you, you get to do, that God has graciously invited you to be a part of. And then secondly, Peter mentions being on guard against doing ministry for shameful gain. In, in the Greek, that word, it's uh, to do it in a, in a disgraceful manner to obtain profit or advantage. And before you think that that just applies to the love of money, although that's part of it, don't forget that for many, it, it can be that that pull can be intoxicating. They can be intoxicated by the, the notoriety and the, the honor and the applause of man that comes along with really any ministry position. And so, so Peter, he tells the elders to exercise oversight eagerly. See, eagerly, eagerly gets to the heart level of motivation. Y'all with me? Like eagerly gets to that heart level, level of motivation. And the implication is that you see and you love people and you don't treat them as a means to some other end. Let me say that again. If you're doing it eagerly, eagerly, it means you see and you love people and you're not treating them like they're some means to, to, another, to another end. And then thirdly, Peter says, elders have got to guard against domineering. They've got to guard against being dictators. Rather, we're to serve as examples. Examples of who? Examples of what? Verse 4 gives us the answer. Examples of the chief shepherd of Jesus who served served others to, to, by pouring himself out to the point of death. And it touches this, this Peter this touches on a, an important point of Scripture as is, is, is Peter references the chief shepherd, Jesus. See, early, earlier in 1 Peter, Peter's talked about the priesthood of believers, that all followers of Jesus are part of this priesthood of believers. So that's, that's true in one sense. We are all on equal footing. But elders, multiple times in the New Testament, pastors, elders are, are told to lead the local churches, to lead the body of Christ. So there's this idea in which we are, a pastor is simultaneously shepherd and sheep. Y'all with me? We're like we're we're shepherd trying to shepherd well, but we are also like sheep under the authority of the chief shepherd Jesus. In times of suffering, Daniel Doriani tells us elders should not hesitate to lead the church. Edmund Clowney says the care of pastors for their flock will be proportional to their care for the Lord. Love for Christ will kindle compassion for Christ's scattered sheep, those for whom he died. I, like, I don't know how you're doing right now. Like, I'm, clearly, I'm super convicted. <laughs> it's pretty convicting to, to, to read this. I read this, this quote from R.C. Sproul this week, uh, last week. He said, today a pastor is <clears throat> expected to be a psychologist, a theologian, a biblical scholar, a a administrator, a preacher, a teacher, and a community leader. And I would add, all 
all while going through the same trials and the same fires that everyone else in his congregation goes through. We'll talk some application. Let's, let's, let's talk about what, like, what, what, is, what does this mean? What does this mean for you? Ready? Here's, here's a biblical principle. And actually, I'm going to give you two biblical principles from this, whether, whether you're a pastor or not. First is this. You don't stop ministering in the fire. Amen? You don't stop ministering in the fire. You persevere. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, persevere. <laughs> you persevere. There's no, like, there's no pause button. There's no pause button for the Christian. And the second thing is this. You, as you persevere, you fight to minister from a place of delight, not duty. You fight to minister from a place of delight, not duty. Man, ministry is a mercy. It, it is a gift. As if it's not enough that God, Christian, would save you, it's, it's that he would then invite you into his mission to save others and to reflect the, the very heart and the very character of God. Wow. We get to be a, we get to be a part of that. Every fall and every spring, we, we, and it's launching today, we, we, go, we walk through our, our real-life discipleship class. Of course, we've got about 40 or, pe- 40 or so people signed up to, to start today. And, and we, we talk through a framework for discipleship, for making disciples. And we, we define discipleship. And we talk about how people spiritually grow and follow Jesus. But one of the spiritual growth stages that we talk about is we talk about spiritual children in a spiritual ch- child they will serve and they will minister and on the outside the appearances look good but it's all about them and one thing is certain when the fire comes spiritual children bail on ministering to others when it gets hard they just do christian i i I say that 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 because I, i i know that the fire burns i i know that it's hard. I know things get hard, but I, even though it's not easy, I, I believe that the rewards of verse 4 are not just limited to pastors. Christian, I, I don't know who needs to hear this, but God sees your perseverance. God sees your perseverance. He sees your motives, and he will reward your faithfulness. Amen? He will reward your faithfulness. Second point. Second point that I want to make this morning is this. Pursue, God wants us to pursue humility. Pursue humility. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, pursue. pursue. Look at your other neighbor and say, pursue. pursue. Come on now. Verse 5 says this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. All of you with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We're called to pursue humility. See, verse 5, it really picks up where verses 1 through 4 leaves off. Starts with an exhortation to those who are younger in the church to submit to their local church leadership. 
It's, it's hard to say with certainty if Peter knew of a certain situation that was going on, like some kind of crisis. But, but the people, listen, people bucking up against the, the authority uh, and the decision-making of their pastors, like that is not a new thing, right? It's been, been going on for a while. Uh, several years ago, I, I'll, I'll never forget, we were about uh, one year in with Restoration Church Brian. We maybe had about 30 or so people, and, and, and I remember getting some advice from one of my friends, and at the time, mentors in ministry, uh, Pastor Bryant Lee uh, of Higher Expectations Church in Humble, he, he said, hey, Jonathan, uh, listen, let me, let me give you some advice uh, he, he, he told me, Jonathan, you're, you're not someone's pastor until you exhort them or, or maybe even correct them and they stick around. <laughs> Stuck with me. I didn't know what that meant then. I do now. But I want to focus. I want to focus on what Peter says in the second half of verse 5. He says, clothe yourselves. Check this out. All of you. All of us with humility. Literally in the Greek, it's, it's dress yourself with humility. And it's interesting to note in Scripture, mo- most of the passages dealing with humility, like what, they're, they're, they involve this command for you to take action. For us, it, there's something that we've got to do to take action. And, and so it's like this. It's like this. Every morning... You, you wake up and, and, and you get out of bed and you're going to pick out clothes for, for the day to wear. Like I, I hope you wear clothes that, every day. And, and you're going you're gonna to pick out pants. You're going you're gonna to pick out a shirt or whatever attire you pick out for the day. Listen, in the same way, listen, every morning, every morning, here's the reality. You wake up and you either, you either minimize your sin, maximize your righteousness, and make your day all about you, or you confess your sin, and you cling to the righteousness of Jesus, and you choose to clothe yourself in humility toward God and others. Amen? Every day. Verse 6 points back to an Old Testament concept. It talks about the mighty hand of God. And the mighty hand of God was mentioned often in the days of Israel is, is God showed off his redemptive power to rescue Israel from their enemies. Even, listen, even when all hope seemed lost. Verse 6 is, is pointing to this essential biblical truth. It is, hear me, it is hard to remain proud when you recognize your need for mercy and a rescue from sin and brokenness that only God can provide. You say that again. It is hard to remain proud when you recognize your need for mercy and your need for a rescue, for a rescue from sin and brokenness that only God can provide. And though verse 7 may seem like a random tack-on verse, church family, make the connection. Anxiety flows from a place of seeking to control your own life and your own circumstances. Anxiety flows from that place. 
But Peter's saying you can cast that anxiety on God because with his mighty hand, he has proven, God has proven his ultimate care and his ultimate love and his ultimate concern for you by already taking care of your greatest need. Christian, he has rescued you from sin and eternal death and judgment. Let me drop some application right here. Thomas Constable says this, the, word, the Greek word translated clothe is a rare one. It comes from a word referring to the apron that slaves would put on over their regular clothes in biblical times. The garment prepared them for service. Church, like this, this might be offensive to us until you realize that Jesus took on Jesus. God took on the posture of a slave and a servant. When in John chapter 13, he laid aside his outer garments and he wrapped a towel around his waist in doing the work of a servant, he washed his disciples' feet. See, if you look around in the, if you look around the culture in the midst of the fire right now, you're going to see a lot of selfishness. You're going to see a lot of selfishness in the world. Daniel Doriani says, left to ourselves, we will be the center of our universe and our chief concern. Left to ourselves, we will be the center of our universe and our chief concern. The other, the other glaring problem with the culture right now is this pervasive gracelessness. There is this pervasive gracelessness, and, and pride grows in the soil of gracelessness. But at the same time, in the same way, humility grows in the fertile soil of grace. Amen? Humility grows in the fertile soil of grace. Mutual grace, listen, grace being this, this giving one another the benefit of the doubt. Mutual grace, like showing undeserved favor toward one another. Mutual grace has got to be the defining characteristic of God's people. It's got to define the church right now. So here's the big thought. Don't, don't just pursue humility. Pursue Jesus. Like if you have a humility problem, you have a Jesus problem. Because if you're following Jesus, if you're following the suffering servant, those, those roots of humility are going to go deeper and deeper and deeper in Christ. Third point this morning is this. God wants you, Christian, to pay attention to the spiritual warfare. Pay attention to spiritual warfare. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. It says this. Resist him. That's, that's 9. I'm going to read 8 through 10. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary like the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God wants us to pay attention to spiritual warfare. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, pay attention. 
See, this one's kind of fun. Look at your other neighbor and say, hey, pay attention. <laughs> if somebody was dozing, like that was a legit rebuke. Verse 8, Peter, Peter concludes by, by reminding his readers of, of these spiritual realities that often can be dismissed or, or just completely disregarded. Sober mind. When he says be sober-minded, that entails clear thinking, but also this element of self-control. When he says, when he talks about watchfulness, he, he, that's being alert, being awake. Peter, of all people, knew about staying awake during the hour of trial, right? Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be crucified. He's sweating, Scripture tells us, like drops of blood. And Peter's, Peter's like, I'm going I'm to take a nap. I'm just going to go less, rest my head for a little bit. Peter's over there snoozing. And so what are, so what are we to be sober-minded and watchful for? Peter, Peter points to this un unseen enemy that lurks like a lion. In describing the devil, Peter uses the word, the, the word adversary or accuser. And, and it's this idea that Satan loves to keep us, Satan loves to keep you feeling the weight of his accusations. Loves it. And the call in verse 9 is, is to resist, to actively oppose him. But, but check this out. The way we do that, Peter says, is by remaining steadfast in your faith in Jesus. That's how you resist. Like, I've, I've been around well-meaning Christians uh, and, and, and I've been in worship services where, like, everybody around me is, like, rebuking and binding the devil. They're like, get behind me, Satan. Like, we're going to stomp the devil under our feet. Stomp, stomp, stomp. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's how it works. Um, <laughs> when I was a teenager, there was a Christian rapper. Like, I, I can't even make this up. Uh, his name was T-Bone. And uh, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that he's still doing Christian hip-hop today. But, but T-Bone would rap about, about busting a cap in demons. And I'm like, I don't... <laughs> T-Bone, you lost me with the whole, like, put your gun down. <laughs> Please. Listen, I think there are two extremes. Ready? There's two extremes that we go to. First, I think we can ascribe to Satan too much power. After all, he is a created being. He is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. He is not omniscient. He is probably not in Bryan, Texas right now. Like, that, that wasn't Satan tempting you to get drunk last night. That was probably just your flesh that would rather feel numb than feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. The other extreme that we can go to is the opposite end of the spectrum where we operate like Satan's imprint and his influence is, is not at work in the world. That, that's another extreme. We ignore God's word that reveals that there is an unseen spiritual battle going on all around you. Church, like we've got to know who, hear me, who the ultimate enemy is and though 
want to say this the right way, though fallen man has great capacity for sin, for evil, for, for injustice, your, your enemy is not your neighbor. Like your, your ultimate enemy is not the person who, who wounded you. It's not the parent who, who let you down. It's not, it's not the corrupt government official. Edmund Clowney says, lurking behind the authorities and the powers that dominate pagan life, there is a more fearful destroyer, the figure of Satan, who is supercharging all of it. This rebellion against God, this rebellion against God's authority, and this rebellion against the demonstration of God's love and plan of redemption through Jesus. And I think Charles Spurgeon said it best. When Satan sees someone cross his border and escape out of his hand, he gathers, Satan gathers up all his forces as Spurgeon says, and he exercises all his cunning so that he may slay them at once. And to meet this special assault, the Lord makes the heart watchful. Watchfulness is necessary, Spurgeon says, from the commencement of the Christian life even to its close. There is no hour in which a believer can afford to slumber. Christian, pay attention. To spiritual warfare. You want to be forged for humble service? Awesome. But know this. If you're going to pour yourself out humbly serving others, there is an enemy who hates that. And he will come against you. Especially if you do it in a way that it's not about you, but pointing others to Jesus. Know that there will be opposition. Satan will be on the attack. I'll close, I'll close with this this morning. A couple of weeks ago, our, our, our family, on Friday nights, we do family pizza movie night. And our fam, we, we, watched the, we watched the old school movie. I guess 1994 is old school at this point. Uh, we watched Little Giants. <laughs> it's a great, great underdog story. And, and they're, they're trying to win the big game. And, and uh, so at one point in the movie, like their little peewee football team, like they're, they're trying to recruit, uh, their, their, their squad is so desperate uh, that, to get Spike, like the 10-year-old football superstar who's like bench pressing twice his weight on their team. Uh, they, they want him to play for their team, even, even though like, it's obvious Spike does not fit on their team. Looking around. I think there are a lot of folks who are trying to press Jesus into their own mold in front like he's on their team. Like, like he's a Republican or a Democrat or like he's this, this race or that skin color or, or Jesus, Jesus would be about, about my cause or he would, he would be about this platform or he would be about this issue. You know what Jesus was about? Like, Like, it's not a mystery. Jesus was about humbling himself and serving others even to the point of death. That's what Jesus was about. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here's the call. Stop 
Stop fashioning a, a, a Jesus of your own making and let, let Scripture speak for itself. Amen? Through the fire, Jesus stayed faithful and he poured himself out on, the, on that cross so that your sins could be forgiven and so that you could have real hope and real restoration. So before Jesus can be anything else for you, he must first be your savior. And before you can humbly uh, serve others, the real question is, will you humble yourself before God and trust Jesus? Y'all pray with me this morning.